The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals, and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as education and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. While generally safe for work, some language may be considered offensive by more sensitive viewers or listeners. Alright. Cans on. Mic's up. Level's good. You got me over there? Alright. Let's roll. This is Booth to Booth, your direct line to the latest in home voiceover production. With your favorite home VO experts throughout the industry, all across the internet, and all around the world. Booth to Booth is brought to you by the Narrowband Broadcast Network, NBBN. The focus is on you. By Andrew Scott Media, making your media matter. By Booth Stuff, unique VO fashion and swag that's as loud and proud as you are. And by the kind support of our viewers and listeners all around the world via Kofi. Kofi, helping you give back to the creators that help you the most. The session clock is running and all the mics are hot. So let's patch in and get this session started. Here's your host, VO coach, narrator, and producer, Andrew Scott. And hello and welcome back to Booth to Booth. I'm Andrew Scott, your host. And today, it's all VO nerd all the time. I'm talking to one of my favorite tech guys in all of VODum. I am talking to George Whittem, also known as George the Tech. George, welcome to the show. How you doing, buddy? It's great to be here. Thanks for welcoming welcoming me. Well, I'm going to start off by stumbling over my words because I'm that's a okay. professional. That's okay. That's why. That's why we have edit. <laughs> This will just be this will be an Easter egg on the back end of the episode, perfect, buddy. <laughs> perfect. That's what we want. No, it's great to be here. Thanks for welcoming me and and um, to be a part of the show. I, I really enjoy it. And talking tech of voiceover is is my thing. And hopefully, we'll get to some really meaty stuff in the time we have together. Well, I'll even go meaty though. I've gone back to being a vegetarian, but <laughs> me, you know, me too. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay, so we're talking Faux about meat. We're talking about Satan and corn. We'll go, on, we'll go impossible today. <laughs> oh, are you an impossible guy or are you I, a beyond guy? I like impossible mostly. So okay, and, and, I went and, back to beyond because they're fake meat patties. Man, they just freak people out, and they're just yeah. that good. Yeah. Listen, yeah. so George, you know, you've been, uh, you know, in people's view and on their radar, you know, primarily from one of the OG, I think it's safe to say this is one Mm. of the OG VO shows on the interwebs. And that of course is VOBS or VO Body Shop. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, you've got a, you've got a significant history, obviously, before that. I'm interested Mm. kind of to know what your origin story is, a little bit Mm. of your background and, and what pulled you into the world of VO versus something that's always attractive to gear nerds like us, which is the music production side of things. So, you know, how'd you, how'd you come into the world? Yeah, it's, I came in through, I guess you might imagine a pretty circuitous way. I, I have a long background in music and audio and recording and music, music recording. Um, that was really the direction I thought my career was going to head. Um, I kind of discovered it a little bit later in life. I think a lot of people get into recording as t- kids or teenagers, or they 
they, I, I was playing with very amateur home, you know, home recorders, things that my dad had. Right. My dad four, bought a four task, track thing. Yeah. My yeah, dad yeah. bought the Tascam Porta one four track. Which right here, right around. in my heart. Oh my yeah. God. That's it took such like a fun 8D machine. batteries so you right. could take it around, you know? Yeah. And we would go and do like recordings at like bluegrass festivals and stuff. And it was a lot of fun. I loved just recording and recording in the field. And that kind of is where things started. So after I graduated Virginia Tech and actually got a degree in music and mm-hmm. audio technology and a minor in communications. There you go. But that all being what it was, I had an internship at a studio in Philadelphia called Sigma Sound, which is now closed, like many mm-hmm. venerable studios are now. Right. Yeah. And um, th- I got this internship there and I had a taste of that world, the taste of the big studio, right. sort of the old school way of doing things the venerable old equipment we had one of these old neve consoles that was oh, apparently one of yeah maybe one of four or one of five of that model mm-hmm. made and it was very special and i got to interact with and use the gear but i started realizing i didn't really like interacting with a lot of the people people <laughs> i didn't like the hours uh, right. i didn't like the way they kind of treated their people mm-hmm. i just did it was again it was the 90s it was still steeped in old school tradition there was still a residue of cocaine on everything right Not really but well, probably like it if depends you took on the, console, the studio yeah if you took the console apart i guarantee oh yeah uh you know we often, and, we often joke that if you shook that thing out man you could make some serious <laughs> dough in the resale market yeah so it was uh, it was that era, right? And so I decided after a very short stint of three months as an intern there, um, that it wasn't for me. And my dad, being the super awesome, supportive guy he is, uh, he was like, what would you want to do? And I said, I would love to make a, and I don't remember what inspired me, but I knew I wanted to make a remote recording truck. A oh, remote truck. Right. right. Yeah. And so we had this old 70s funky RV that we had used as a family RV for a little while. We hadn't had it that long. Mm-hmm. But I was like, yeah, we could put the console in here, tape recorders, everything we need, you know. It would be kind of stealthy because it just looks like a dumpy old RV. Right. You know, and long story short, my dad helped me start that up. He basically helped me buy bought the gear. We had some connections to get some good deals because my dad came from the camera business, selling oh, cameras okay. and selling AV gear. So right. we had some in on some getting good deals, but we dropped some real money and built this recording truck with Tascam digital tape machines. They were called DA88s. Yep. Right? And yep. That's, that's I knew those because we had those at Virginia Tech in our studio. So I knew those machines well. I'd used them a lot and I was familiar. So- that's where I started in having my own business almost right out, not quite right out of college, but pretty close to it. Sure. And, um, and I just wanted to forge my own path. And that's, I was again, very lucky to have the support of my family my dad, especially with getting that going and being enthusiastic to help me. And, uh, and that's where I started down the path. So really I, my pro audio experience started in actual recording, mm-hmm. but doing remotes. And so you're, you're using whatever is available to you. Oftentimes it's their microphones mm-hmm. at the venue. It's, um, you don't know the venue that well, usually, or at all. You don't often know the band that well at all. You kind of come in almost blind and you just yeah. have to make it work. So I got used to that. So that was one part of my life of pro audio. Then parallel to that, 
my dad managed a music store then for a while. And I ended up being like the pro audio guy. So anytime somebody needed a PA system or needed mm-hmm. to rent one, I would help them get it set up. And I would start taking calls for anything microphone or audio related. So right. that started taking on a life of its own a little bit. And I was doing little gigs in here and there and there. Then that's all happening. Now I'm installing like sound systems for aerobics studios. Oh, okay. uh, you know, that kind of stuff that's happening. Mm-hmm. In parallel with all of those things, I meet, uh, through my cousin, I meet an engineer who was a radio engineer at the radio station that was called 94WYSP in Philadelphia. Now it's called 94WIP. And it's all sports now, but back then it was the Howard Stern in the morning, Opie and right, Anthony, Anthony in the afternoon. Sure. Like just the absolute most obnoxious mm-hmm. stuff on the radio. We Morning had it, right? zoo. It was it's- chaos, <laughs> right? Oh, man. So then I, I kind of got my foot in the door there as a remote engineer. Okay, and so. I, I learned the ropes of ISDN, mm-hmm. which was ropes. a big thing back then. That was that was your real that was your patch in. That was how you could effectively patch in to a broadcast environment. Yeah, we were doing it from bars and clubs, mm-hmm. and we were doing it from the Eagles football stadiums. And okay, so what happened was after nine eleven attacks in twenty was that two thousand one two thousand one two thousand one. Yeah, my uh, my buddy who was the engineer, remote engineer, is like, I'm done. I'm done traveling. I've been on the road for 11 years with the Eagles. I don't want to fly anymore. I'm, people were freaked out. Remember? Sure. Um, so I was like, I will give it a go. I had two games where I interned under him just to get an idea of the gear. Right. Then 9/11 hit, and he stepped out of the position. I stepped in. I hit the. I mean, it was from the fire. What do they say? From the uh, frying, from the frying pan, pan into the straight fi- into the fire. fire. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It wow. was te- intense. So yeah, I got three years doing remote recording, remote broadcast. So now mm-hmm. going from recording to f- fully live, and that's a little bit different than just being a board op. I mean, my broadcast experience, minus from being a little bit of on air talent, is I was an overnight board op, which really was nothing more than pushing the right button at the right time and grabbing the right cart. Because I was, I go back to the days of cart. You know, sure. but yeah, yeah, you know, being a, a full remote engineer and producer is effectively what you stepped into. Yeah. So, you know, the stakes were, were much higher. Um, it was high intensity. You're dealing with a lot of, you know, real top level pros. Our, our announcer, Merrill Reese and Mike Quick have been doing this for a long time Ever. at that point already. Yeah. And that was in 90, no, 2001. Mm-hmm. So it was very intense. Um, yeah. And you so I didn't, you weren't just working for the Tahlequah, Oklahoma Eagles. You were working for no. the Eagles. I know. know. <laughs> I stepped right into it. It was, cr- it was crazy. And I didn't die. I didn't crash and burn. I didn't, <laughs> the, we didn't lose a show. Nothing, you know, we managed, I managed through and I got to learn the gear, which was completely my friend Lane's com- customized, crazy Oof. rack of sure mixers and all this stuff like all rack it was a crazy crazy rack. that's like learning somebody's wife it, 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 exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it was absolutely custom no pressure though it wasn't like a mackie console where i knew understood it was sure this is the rig so i had one game where i learned how to use that and then i was the i was the engineer so wow. it was it was all that backstory <laughs> To say is like all those weird, disparate skill sets of dealing with random occurrences and live pressure situations, live shows. I also did live audio mixing in college. I would run sound at sure. bars. So yeah. 
all that high intensity liveness, I kind of got used to dealing with that. Mm-hmm. And I got used to dealing with using mics that weren't the best you could buy, but just whatever you could get. Right. And then so and then I also got to learn the ISDN and the phone patch and tell us this and all that gear. So and I even have some of the old stuff on the shelf, right? Oh, there's a Telos. I do right see a there. Telos up there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very good. And I'll, so I'll I throw got a to sound learn all effect that. in there as well, going <laughs> boink kind of thing. Yeah, I got to learn. I got to learn all that stuff. And so I was all this time. I didn't know it, but I was training to be an engineer to help voiceover actors because <laughs> I had all these interesting skill sets. But what I didn't have any skill in at all was acoustics. Right. Uh-huh. And that was what I learned over the last, I've learned the technology. I know audio technology and EQ and all the classical stuff. It was the acoustics that I had to learn as I went. And I learned as I've learned it, that there are so few that actually understand it. Right. And actually how to not understand acoustics, but understanding how to get a good sounding recording in a really small space, a closet, a booth. That is a whole different animal. Yeah. And none of the classically trained acousticians, all the guys that write the books that I have on this shelf over here. They're not dealing no, with us. They don't have, they never ever talk about how to tune a two by three and a half foot box. Right. Like it's right. just, it breaks the models. The math doesn't work. <laughs> it's just like, so it's been a really interesting process to learn this in the real world. And, um, and that's really where I feel like I've, gotten to get a kind of head a lot of folks is because I've spent so much energy focusing on tuning these funky little rooms, but that's kind of how it all came together. You gave me a great, I don't know if it's an on-ramp or an off-ramp, I guess, but um, let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, as a VO educator myself and somebody who's been doing this professionally for better part of a decade in many different challenging environments, um, You know, I often tell people who are interested in coming into the VO world and trying it out Mm -hmm. that your microphone is vastly less important than you think it is. And it, you know, for me, it's in the top three considerations. Sure. But just, you know, but but just, um, yeah, yeah. Really, your environment is the thing that I encourage people to deal with first. Primarily because of its level of importance to audio Mm -hmm. fidelity, but also because it's the thing that if you're slightly educated about it and you're wise about it, you can affect your signal the most positively with the least amount of money spent. Absolutely true. Really, really well said. It is the secret to great recording with the least amount of investment. <laughs> I blew because people yeah, I, true. I blew people's minds once because um, you know, I, I shot a video in my booth and I made sure to have my TLM one oh two in the picture. Mm-hmm. But actually what I was doing is I was recording open air on my phone. Yeah, and I literally I literally yeah. just reached up and I plucked out the XLR jack and went, nah, I'm recording on my phone here because this a does great demonstration and yeah. I've, I've done it. I've literally, I haven't done a commercial VO on my phone. However, I've earned a few good thousand dollars by doing, um, uh, audition reads on my phone while I was out on the road. You just get in the closet and do it there. Admittedly, I had to borrow my wife's phone in order to read mm-hmm. the copy while I recorded, but right. you know, mm-hmm. um, so let's, yeah. let's talk about that a little bit. As you were saying, so many people who are coming into VO, and we're not even talking about a commercial booth solution right now. 
So many mm-hmm. people who are coming into VO have a given amount of space to dedicate to what they're trying to do. Now, some people might be in a an actual room, but thanks to all us VO nerds doing this on our own, really where we typically point them is a closet, just a good old closet. And, you know, a lot of us will have the, uh, have the helpful advice of leave your clothes in there. And that's true. But when you are making that transition, when you're taking that next step, what are some of the problems of that environment specific to that environment, uh, by way of acoustic challenges and maybe what are some techniques to start addressing them? Well, yeah, what sometimes I will I haven't, I'm not doing it as much as I used to, but I would go to someone's home in LA area and I would go to their closet and maybe they've already got a mic set up in there. They've been recording in the closet for a while Mm -hmm. and then they remove everything. They're like, I'm ready to start from scratch and make this the booth I've always wanted. Right. And they realize, wow, it doesn't sound very good now. Or, or they'll put up the foam panels or they'll, do a, you know they do things that look like a studio yeah they do the visual they do the things that look like it should sound to them right but it sounds boxy it sounds hollow re- resonant there's all these uh-huh. like things that make it sound not like a good studio right and they're like i don't get it or worse they buy a major brand iso booth that yeah. costs them thousands and thousands of dollars of course, realistically expecting that it, why wouldn't it sound amazing, right? They buy it, they set it up, or maybe we set it up, whatever. They get that first recording and it sounds worse than the closet with all the clothes in it. And they're yep. like, what the heck the is going, going on, on with this? Yeah. And what they just, for, they, what they don't really know is that the clothing is doing this amazing acoustical thing. It's it, very thick. Yeah. It's, you know, it could be hanging on the wall. It could be this wide. Sure. Right? Imagine replacing that clothing with an acoustical system or a paneling or whatever. How physically huge that would be, right? It it would be massive, right? Yeah. And so you cannot expect to just put an inch or two of foam on the walls. No matter how much that foam costs. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. have it perform as well as all that clothing did. So yeah. that is a big thing. Like people, they just don't understand. And, and I get it because I didn't really understand it because the very first voiceover booth I worked in or to help set up was a whisper room in this case in 2000, I don't know, 2000. Right. And it, it was just, you know, carpet with some foam Oralex sheets on it. And that was it. And that's what, that's all we knew. Yeah, and I bet you that you were as much as anybody, including the buyer, going, oh, well, this will be interesting because this thing should really do the trick. And then right, you get right. in there and you you literally, yeah, it's it's a hell of a shock for people when they first get into kind of how I refer to it as a virgin commercial booth. You know, yeah. even if they bought like one of the, the extra trick triple platinum setups. Sure. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. not done. You didn't buy a solution. You bought part of a solution. Right. You've still got plenty of work to do by way of tuning that big ass box that you're going to stand in for hours yeah. at a time. It's true. Yeah. So and that's the, why, that's, the, why, that's the part that gets just people off guard. I, yeah. I hate it when they've already bought something without talking to me first. Uh-huh. 
And I'm like, well, you just bought something to solve a problem that you didn't need to solve. And right. then the problem you needed to solve yeah. isn't solved. And they're yeah. like, what? So, so you've actually yeah. created yourself an extra problem right. that now is going to cost you even more right. to solve. And, you know, yes. I get the same thing when people go out and they, you know, they're in a limited treatment environment and they are under the mistaken impression that the microphone will solve the problem. So they get out of something like an AT2020, which is a perfectly serviceable little mic. It's a great beginning microphone for people. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, I know a TLM 103. And you put that in that same environment. The one thing that a microphone of that price point is going to do is point out every single acoustic flaw in your yeah. environment and then yeah. you're off spending more money. So yeah, it's cart true. cart before the horse kind of thing. But what mm. are what are those significant problems when it comes to your closet environment? Let's say that you have, you know, a decent amount of clothing in there. You've got some boxes in there which I often uh, you know, encourage people to keep in there because it does help break up standing waves a little bit. Mm-hmm. But what are some of the other considerations if you're thinking about your closet or a like space, you know, eight feet square, maybe 10 feet square, something like that? What are the things that you regularly either run into, have run into, or kind of help people navigate? Well, I mean, some of it's just things like there is generally never any power in a closet. So then you have to run a cord under the door, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, not at the end of the world. But if you're also trying to soundproof it so that the the door is sealed, well, that's not going to work if you run a cord underneath the door. It's now not sealed. Now now let's say you assume you figured out how to seal the door. Let's say you've upgraded the door and put a better door because the door on any closet is is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So you've put a better door and gone through the expense and the hassle of that, which could cost you materials, labor, thousands of dollars. It could be a thousand plus dollars easily. Mm-hmm. Now you've done that. So now you've made yourself this nice little airtight box so you can't breathe. Yeah, I was just going to say, than, you've made yourself a fabulous suffocation chamber. Yeah. So you can't last maybe more than half hour, 45 minutes until it gets so stuffy and you feel so woozy. You're like, oh, I got to stop and open the door. Okay. I keep telling that to people. I have a really good friend of mine who's a very noted audiobook narrator, started out a number of years ago, literally passed out twice after he effectively treated his closet and didn't take into consideration us fat meat bags we throw off a lot of carbon dioxide and we suck up a lot of oxygen and if that's as sealed up as you say great for sound not so good for staying alive yeah it's the carbon it's actually the carbon dioxide that you're poisoning yourself with it's not that you're starving yourself of oxygen it's this carbon dioxide, yeah. whatever. But so that's the, that's another issue you run into with a closet. So if what you do is mostly a few quick auditions, some very short form things, things where you can pop in and pop out and you're going to pop in and pop out of the closet a lot, not a big consideration. Right. When you start doing long sessions where you're actually being directed. Oh, yeah. That's the next level. That could be another, maybe that's two levels from where you are, really. Mm, I would but agree. That's yeah. It's a big level up when you're getting... You're in, you're now not in your own privately run session where you're calling the shots, the timing of when to work, when you're going to work, how long you're going to work. Now you're on somebody else's schedule. Yep. The session's two hours long and you have to sit there while they 
listen to the recording, play it back. The client maybe is listening to it. Yeah. They're they're giving notes. They're giving up what's called approval. Yeah. And you sit there and it can be a very oppressive space after a while. So when you're starting out, you don't need to worry about really long sessions unless you're a poor audiobook narrator. And then oh, and then it's like, amen. how long can you last in that environment <laughs> right? before you just can't stand anymore and you have or to you get crack to, and you have to get some air, right? <laughs> yeah. So it it can be challenging. The reason, the re, the whole reason why people are going into a closet is mostly to get away from noise, right? Mm-hmm. So, in my opinion, the only reason to set up in a closet is because it's the quietest place that you can find in your home, right? Mm-hmm. If that's not the truth, it's not. If that's not actually true, if your closet is right adjacent to the neighbor wall or the or, corridor or has an HVAC duct running next to it well, or a water sometimes heater. even through it. Sure. I've seen oh, yeah. bare ducts. And if that closet is actually making the situation worse for you, then it's not where you want to be, right? Mm-hmm. So you might actually just want to be in a, a more open room, right? Do mm-hmm. all you can to acoustically treat that larger space, which actually has a lot of benefits because the sound doesn't want to isn't trapped as much, so it doesn't resonate as much. Right. It doesn't get as boomy. Yeah. So now your main issue really is just scrubbing out noise later. Mm-hmm. And the good news is that the tool sets now oh, gosh. for removing noise are oh, yeah. incredibly good. Like yes. we, noise is noise is not as much the issue as I as it would have been even two or three years ago. Like the, no, the I would agree. Tools, in, I would agree entirely yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, yeah especially with yeah. the ability with you know. All I've been able to talk about for the last two months is artificial intelligence, but in AI's favor, there are some aspects of artificial intelligence that, as you're indicating, has completely changed the game by way of post-production noise removal. And, uh, you know, anything from the isotope products, which are good. My favorite is uh, a plugin called Bruce Free. Uh, I love Bruce Free. Oh, it is so light touch and Mm -hmm. it is... One of the most effective noise scrubbers I've ever used in the last it's decade. It's really cool. Easy. And for the amount mic. of money that the amount of money that they're charging for it is just I know. it's go buy it. All right. I'll put a link in the description. What were you saying about mics in them? There's a USB mic that has Bruce Free built into the mic. Did I'm you know behind. That? No, this is yeah. I was today years old, man. I will be it's looking called, that up. It's called Tula. T U L A. Okay. It's a cute little USB mic. It looks yeah. like a classic razor, actually, is what it kind of oh. like what it looks like. Okay. It's a really cool packaging um, of a product. It has internal recording, so it can record internally. But it has Bruce Free. That's the mind-blowing thing. You hold the button down, it records room tone. Right, takes then, your sample. And then you let go of the button, and then now it's taking the room tone sample out of the audio. I it's will say it's going to be crazy. reviewed. It's going to be reviewed on my Bootcamp channel at some point in the near future because I need to get my hands on one it's of those guys. Very clever, yeah. We're, so, yeah. we're actually we're moving into an interesting place, and this is something <laughs> that you might want to make a comment on. You yeah. know, right now I'm coming to you through a, you know, my, my good old Cinco D2 shotgun flown over my head. Uh, into uh, Revelator IO24 because I do like on I this stuff. One. 
They're not bad. They're not bad. I, I have one. I was using yeah. it a ton. Boom. It's there right it is. <laughs> that, I'm coming to you live through that. It's a good piece of kit. You know, we're starting to see this though. We're starting to see DSP built into microphones now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so many, I'm going to say it this way. So many gatekeepers in the VO world just immediately poo-poo that idea. This one has um, it. This is a Rode NT USB. Exactly. And it has and a companion program and it lets it, you set the DSP. The I mic. think that that's going to be a, a pretty significant sea change in the industry because a lot of what beginning people suffer from, and we'll talk about this, uh, uh, we'll focus on this after the break, is the learning curve of things like noise reduction and the learning curve of EQ. And I mean, of course the number Mm. one that confuses anybody who didn't grow up in a studio in the eighties, of course, is compression. You know, this idea that, wait, I'm making everything quieter, but then I got to make everything louder, you know, DSP in microphones. And what you mentioned that it's also a built-in recorder is kind of mind blowing to me. Uh, right. It sounds like they're sort of trying to elbow in on the Zoom H5, H6 solution, but only sure. with a more a more traditional form factor kind sure. of thing. Yeah. Um, I see us not only heading that way, but I see that as actually being a pretty valid entry point to people who are interested in VO, but just get lost in the technology and the learning curve of things. Yeah, it's it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, the built-in DSP... I think it's most helpful and useful for anybody who's doing real-time or live production. Right, streaming kind of stuff. Yeah, Yeah, because it's much harder to set up the tech to deal with the compression, the leveling, uh, or the the noise reduction, all those things. It's much harder to set up the tech to do all that stuff if it's not already in the mic, right? Right. So the mics that can do that well when they're inside the mic, that takes all that complex software guesswork out of it, like setting up like a DAW, like Reaper mm-hmm. and having the routing to do all that. Reaper can do all that stuff. Oh yeah. But the learning curve to set it up to do all that stuff is quite a thing. So that's where it's good. Where it's bad is, is, is if you depend on that for everything you do, and then you get that request that comes in inevitably, which is we need to hear your studio raw. Yeah. We naked. need to hear it yep. exactly as it is. And you're like, <gasps> Yeah. Oh, uh, it's not going to fly anymore. Yep. So if if you lean on it too much, it can get you in trouble. But if you're just starting out, at least you can get some convincingly good sounding recordings with a minimal amount of knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, you really do want to bounce your audio off a pro, a coach, a technical coach like me or yourself yeah. um, and let us hear the audio you're producing. Because I say on my show at the end of the show, every show, if it sounds good, it is it good. good. But the thing is, you have to know what that sounds like. Exactly. My partner, Dan, also says, whistle. Mm-hmm. You have to know what it's supposed to, to sound, sound like. like. And that is a big part of the training that comes into this whole this whole audio engineering is the, the time that goes into understanding what it really is supposed to sound like. Like that is the ear training. Yeah. That is something that takes time. It might take you a year it might take you 10 years i don't know and at that times, takes time yeah and at times sometimes you never really get it i mean yeah i uh i have the dubious distinction of having had pronounced tinnitus since i was 17 years old 
when I did I call my, it tinnitus as well, always. Yeah, uh, yeah. Exactly. And tinnitus, tinnitus, I just, oh, I grew up with it as tinnitus. But, Me too. You know, there are certain, even with my educated ears, mm-hmm. um, there are certain frequencies that I don't pick out, and I haven't right. in forever. Right. That's when I lean on one of my buddies who's got undamaged ears and say golden ears (laughs) exactly and it's yeah we had the golden voice in vo and in the engineering side we got a set of golden ears somewhere and you need to know those people yeah but i really like and i might have run off with the the whistle analogy a couple times so give them a a couple bucks from me because it (laughs) nails it because yeah we have we have two things going on in that dynamic we have what it should sound like by way of just its simple audio quality but also what it should sound like with consideration to the demographic or the market that it's being aimed at. Because you do a broadcast piece that is, by its very nature, supposed to sound different than long-form audiobook narration. Or commercial. Exactly. And even Mm a number of different things. And so, as is so often the case with the things that we do and the pursuits that we have, there is no, I'm done. I have learned the thing. And it shall never change. No, one of the things that we develop in this industry as independent producers, and I try to get my voice talents to understand, no, you're a producer. You're producing a thing. Yeah. What we really need to develop before anything else is an understanding and a process for always learning, always Mm. dipping into somebody else's technique and go, can I, can I take something from here and put it over? Yeah, no, okay. We are lifelong learners because as yeah. long as there's going to be new technology, people like us got to keep up with it or at a minimum, at least be aware of it. Be aware of it. Yeah. So no, I'm I, learning stuff all the time. It, it's, it's, and I look at what I do for folks is I have this 15, 20 year head start of learning all that stuff. But I can work with somebody who's been in it for six months who knows something I don't know. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, I hadn't heard of that and yet. Then suddenly I want to try Yeah, suddenly you're yeah. today years old again, learning yeah, exactly. something new. So that's this way this, and you, yeah, I always want to continue learning. Yeah, but we, yeah, it's, we want to make sure that the audio you're producing sounds like what it's supposed to sound like and that you know how to, to find that. And that can be hard to do. And it also can be very hard to do in in headphones. Yep. I'm happy to talk about the headphone problem. Let's um, <laughs> let's talk about that headphone problem right on the other side of this break. Because thank you for serving me up such a softball of a pitch. Because you're right, that's a great topic. So this is Andrew Scott. That of course is George Whittem, George the Tech. This is Booth to Booth, and we'll be right back on the other side of this break. Please don't go anywhere. Bye. Booth to Booth is brought to you in part by BoothStuff.com, the home of the world's most unique VO casual fashion and swag. You know, this thing that we do is pretty unique. So, slap on a Booth Stuff t-shirt that tells the world, or, you know, your cat, that being in a tiny room by yourself is where you truly belong. Shirts, hats, pants, mugs, and more. Well, not a lot more. Actually, that's pretty much it. Anyway, Booth Stuff is the one and only home for VO-centric swag that lets the world know what you do with that mouth of yours. So head on over to BoothStuff.com and get something that shows the world who you are and what you love to do. BoothStuff.com. Loud and proud. 
And hello and welcome back to Booth to Booth. I'm Andrew Scott and I am chatting today with my favorite VO tech nerd, George Whittem, George the Tech. And George, at the uh, at the outset of the break, you'd mentioned the pitch battle that seems to just never go away in voiceover land and that is headphones, the cans, the things that actually get our dulcet recorded tones into our ears. I'm imagining you're a man who has an opinion on headphones. <laughs> well, I have an opinion on headphones, and I have an opinion on what I like in headphones, you know, what choice of headphones that I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. But also I have an opinion more and more lately about when to not wear them. Oh. And when the headphones start to cloud your judgment of your own performance or your own, not performance as much, just the way you actually sound. Mm-hmm. Like right now, I'm wearing headphones and I'm monitoring myself. And I do this as a force of habit. Right. And I'm not a voice actor. Let's be clear. I'm not taking someone's copy, interpreting it, and performing it in or as a role mm-hmm. every time you do a commercial. That's acting. It is. You totally. are not yourself. No. You are not doing a testimonial. No. You know, I am George Whittem and I endorse this product. No, I'm so happy are... to hear you take that tack. I always yeah. say if it's not your own words coming from your own brain, you're acting. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're talking about tissue paper, it, you're acting. That's right, right? So the second you have the headphones in the mix, um, now you have this unusual, not natural thing going on, which is your voice being fed back to you. Mm-hmm. And... And I understand, and I'm wearing it now because it's a crutch. It's a it's a security blanket. I'm also an engineering geek, so I want right. to hear exactly what's going on. But the fact of the matter of, of it is, is right now, is, is I don't really like particularly the way I'm sounding in my headphones right now. I don't know why that is. Okay. I just... It's something about it. It makes me want to futz with the EQ, <laughs> which I did right before you and I. I was like, "Oh, I'm going to add. I'm going to notch out a little around 700." Right. I just, I don't know why, and it's probably completely irrational. Um, but it's just that feedback loop. I'm not liking what I'm hearing. That immediately is going to take me away from being the actor and send me back into being the engineer producer. Ah. Uh. So much for do not disturb mode. Ah, don't worry about, about it. It's, it's my show. <laughs> I so, don't care. Uh, but um, yeah, it says right on there, do not disturb. Um, oh, it's my girlfriend. She gets the, she gets an override. She gets the exception. She has the yeah. override. Anyway. My, if, if my kid got a hold of me right now, it would do the same. So you're right. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Tell her so, we say hi. So yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> so the headphones are providing this feedback loop, right? And mm-hmm. the feedback loop, the problem with it is, is it's not honest. No. It's not real because you're hearing your voice through your head, literally through your brain, through your skull, Mm -hmm. through your jaw. And so you're hearing this colored version of yourself anyway, right? Yeah. Then you put on headphones. It's even more colored because you're hearing that, all that stuff. Yeah. And it affects the the, way you modulate and your volume and your your delivery and all that. Yes. Yes. So I'm very, become even more and more big on Get your sound, get get your sound check. You can put on a headphone if you want, just sure. so you know the signal's not crunchy and cruddy and distorted. Right. So you're, not, you're not wasting time later going, oh, crud, I forgot to yeah. X, Y, Z. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. But, and you even do a cold read if you want on your script, whatever. Mm-hmm. But after that, then take off the headphones. Take off the headphones. And I can put on my monitor speakers here quietly and hopefully they won't 
bleed too much, right? Well, we'll find and, out. Yeah, we're going to find out. I didn't hear anything. So. Yeah, they're on now, so you might get a little slap. Test, back. test. We'll yeah, I get a little bit, but yeah, I'll you're turn, right. I'll you turn know. them way down, right? Just mm-hmm. enough to hear you. Mm-hmm. So this this is the way you want to really feel when you're acting, is that the headphones aren't distracting you. And also the microphone has to eventually also not distract you either. Very so true. So you have to get so good at being aware of where the mic is, your mic placement, being really consistent with it, but at the same time, forgetting that it's there. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part about self-engineering, self-producing. If you're, yeah. if you're getting to be in a traditional recording studio, like in LA, good, good on you. You get booked yeah. for that big commercial. They give you breakfast. You go in. It's right. just amazing, right? They they don't you don't touch a thing. Maybe you put on your headphones. That's it. If you have to wear them, that's that's not the home environment you're in. You know, so no. you want to you want to just take off the cans and get that part out of the, of the equation out of there and listen. Now you can listen to yourself back in but, headphones yeah, because that's, that's an inherently different thing. That's right. Playback is an entirely different impression of the way you sound because you're not actually speaking. There's no sound transmitting through your head. It's yeah. just playback. So if you're going to judge what it is you're hearing and make a call on what you should be doing, it should be in playback. You mm-hmm. shouldn't be like tuning EQs and things and while you're listening to yourself talking. It just it just doesn't work. You, you're right. you're going to drive yourself nuts. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, um, and I imagine you do, do you have a strong feeling one way or the other, uh, you know, between... And I'm talking particularly for playback, not in the booth. Do you have a strong feeling about um, open back versus closed back, driver size, things like that? Uh, I know some people are really kind of particular about that. I never quite understood them. The when you're in voiceover mode, you're no longer an audiophile engineer nerd at that point. That brain has to be turned off. But if you're an audio geek, yes, I mean there's certain things you want to look for. I because I'm an engineer that's working in real in the real world most of the time. Right. I I need isolation. Like mm-hmm. I I need to close out the background noise. I'm not in a soundproof room right now. Right. Um. So I'm using sealed closed back headphones. Mm-hmm. These are my second pair of Biodynamic DT770 Pros. <laughs> I my first pair is retired in a box somewhere. I've been right. using them for almost thirty years. Um. They're that That's good. how long they last, yeah, right? They're Two that pairs good. in 30 years. I was just going to say, we could barely see the, we could barely see the lettering on those cans because they've been held and, you know, yeah, yeah they're kind exactly. Of worn, That's right? the sign of quality there, people, is what that is. That's a replacement headband thing. That's right. not the original, right? Right. These you got replacement pads, are not, yeah. These are not the original, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, these are, these are great, great headphones for me. I like the way they, I like the way they sound. And they're and they're even in some ways more importantly they're very very comfortable. Like yes, they have a very they large are. ear pad. Yeah, please don't break those on camera right now and make oh, us no. both look like fools. Not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, these they things are, are built like a they tank. are Steel. warriors. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I uh, I still have a pair of mine that I use uh, in my booth for listen back. Uh, and one of the things I like about them is the drivers on those are very they move. They really move but they don't transfer as much into your head as something like the Sennheisers that I have, which Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. The sound is great, but what you were speaking about earlier about recording with them on, um, 
people don't appreciate that there's there's something not insignificant by way of weight moving up against your skull. And that affects your ability to hear your own voice. It attenuates how you hear yourself mm. by way of the vibrations into your skull and your inner mm. ear. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. When it comes to the other question, do you prefer as a, as an engineer, do you prefer to primarily listen back through headphones or do you um, kind of split it evenly between that and near field monitors or kind of what's your scheme there? I really do rely on headphones. I, and if, if I had a, I live in LA, it's expensive to live here. <laughs> I, I haven't been able to build a control room, like a dream studio that's soundproofed and mm -hmm. quiet. I do have a pair of classic Mackie HR824 monitors, huge things on my desk right next yep. to me here. They're amazing. Um, but I can't really trust my judgment on those because this room isn't really tuned for monitoring. Mm -hmm. The background noise, ambient level of noise on the outside is not that low. So there's, so when I'm really trying to like, as an engineer being technical, listen for every flaw because people are hiring me for that. Yep. I'm going to be wearing headphones to do that. So I wear these, I have, um, Audio-Technica ATH M40s, which are my bargain headphone, $100, I think are amazingly good sounding. I just love them. Excellent. Um, they're my fold and throw in my bag and not care what happens to them headphones. Right, and I haven't, right. I haven't destroyed them yet. Um, okay. And they, they, I, they're my sit on my computer, my laptop, and edit, listen to audio, do sound checks on my computer and my laptop, you know, in my living room headphones, right? There you go. So I have a few that, that I use regularly. Now, the thing is that I've been finding more and more uh, I'm tuning in on is that actors are using headphones a lot. And I understand mm -hmm. it because we don't have environment. I tell people, don't really trust your speakers. You can't. Right. You just can't. So they use headphones. But what happens is some headphones are extremely detailed. Uh, translation, very bright. Yeah. They, tweaked, tweaked over 8K. Yeah. They have a lot. They pick. They accentuate flaws in your voice that mm -hmm. will make you crazy if yeah. you have a pretend uh, uh, any kind of ocd tendencies oh. they will make you want to go crazy editing your voice yep. you're going to try to remove every tiny flaw in your audio and god and it's forbid gonna... if you're sibilant i mean yes because yes. that's just it those sibilants you know male sibilance happens between about three and four K right, and the lower you know, part. Yeah. And in, in female, uh, sibilance really happens five to six, seven, to sometimes mm -hmm. depending upon the register. Yep. And that is exactly where headphone makers tend to tweak their signals because they want to, what, what they want to do is, you know, they call it enhancing, but I call it exacerbating or exaggerating. They exaggerate yeah. the amount of air and then they push a lot of bass into it so that you get that feeling of volume mm -hmm. without the actual decibel of volume, but it's mm -hmm. exactly what you don't want if you are critical listening to your own voice, because it's just yeah. flat out lying to you. Yeah. And the, the thing is confusing, just like with some ISO booths, you think it should be acoustically tuned. You'd think a professional headphone um, should be tuned that way. But th they're not because they're tuned no. by somebody who thinks that's the way they should sound. And, and each brand of headphone has different sort of signatures to the way they sound. Sure. It tends to be somewhat brand 
I noticed that it's a little bit brand specific. So yeah. Sony's are very bright. Sennheiser's, mm-hmm. I think, tend to be more dark yes. or may, more bottom heavy. Mm-hmm. The buyers, I think, are pretty balanced overall. Um, I would Audio say Technica's, they're one of the most neutral. Yeah, pretty neutral. They're not dead flat. No, they're not we references. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, so I've been telling a few folks lately too, like, those headphones you're using now are making you have a complex. <laughs> Completely. So let's try some other headphones, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I had a, 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 a client of mine switch to these. I said, mm-hmm. why not try these? I, these are what I use. You can get them relatively pretty cheap now, 120 ish dollar, not too bad. So he got a pair and he was like, Oh, you're right. He's like, they do sound different. It took me a while to, and it will take you a while to get accustomed to, a different pair of headphones, right? Mm-hmm. When they have a different EQ, yep. we're going to talk about EQ, but when yes, they have a different are. EQ, it's going to throw you off a little bit. You're going to think now everything might be not bright enough or mm-hmm. whatever. So it takes a while to recalibrate your brain. But once you do, you go, oh, I don't hear every single little mouth click anymore. Did I get better and, overnight? What? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and I'm like, and that's okay mm-hmm. because- if you send me that same file that you are obsessing over and I listen to it back and I've heard, you know, your voice and 10,000 others. Right. If that mouth noise is a problem and if I notice it on that first pass, it's a problem. Yeah. Very likely though, what's going to happen is that mouth noise is there. I will not even notice it. Mm-hmm. And then you'll say, but what about the mouth noise? And then I'll listen to it again. And now I will focus on the mouth noise right. and I'll go, yeah, it's there's a little bit there between phrases. I hear you. There's a open your mouth. There's a click. Maybe it's not. It's, but it's completely but tolerable. It's, it's right? not distracting. It's not. That's the word. It's not yep. distracting. And it, flaws that you think of as flaws, sibilance, mouth noises, breaths. Yep. All these things that you obsess over and want to clean out. If it's not distracting to the listener, you should be able to leave it in. You should just leave it in. Yeah. Unless they have a directive, your clients like. I want zero breaths and I want to, I want you to sound like an AI. I don't know what the heck. Pretty much. Yeah. Right. By the time you've cleaned yourself up that to that degree, you will no longer sound literally a human anymore. And you know, what's interesting is that now uh, a number of platforms, and I did a demo of this uh, that I'll put up here. um, AI has breath noises now and AI has disfluences now. Mm, and so they're actually encroaching on what makes us meat bags, meat bags. And that is <laughs> they're putting in flaws. So yeah, yeah for everybody right. out there, stop making your recordings sound surgically sterilized. It's not Absolutely. what people want to listen to. Um, you know, the other thing that I think that's interesting about the headphone discussion before we move over into EQ, but it holds hands pretty well. And that is for people like you and I who have tinnitus or who have uh, you know, honestly not checked and not had their hearing checked. And by the way, I highly recommend to anybody who is seriously considering pursuing VO as a part-time or a full-time gig, go get your hearing checked by an audiologist because that will answer a lot of questions for you about the technical side of your pursuit. Because how many, like you were saying, how many times are you perceiving something as some deal-breaking problem that's not happening out here? It's happening up in here, in your hearing. So getting a baseline of where your hearing is, Mm. um, I I found it really helpful. And I mean, I've had to my whole life because of my hearing damage. That's a really good point. That's where sight 
and hearing are very different. Um, oh, yeah. If, if something's so out of focus, you cannot read it, it's clear there's something going on there. Or unclear. A, or unclear. <laughs> but if a sound is distorted or in, in terms of like, it's not, you're not hearing it the way it really is sounding. You're hearing a distorted version, the version that you're hearing. That's your only frame of reference. And right? you, if you don't have another frame of reference, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good point. Yeah. I would, I would highly recommend. And it's one of those things too, where I think there's still a lot of, and we're getting a little bit in the in the weeds here, but I That's think it's we do. I, right. I'm <laughs> I'm a professional in the weedser. Um, there's still some stigma about having hearing trouble or yeah. having a hearing deficit or a hearing difference. Not and, glasses, right? I was glasses just going to say, totally nobody normal. nobody looks at a pair of glasses anymore, especially like you know yeah. I'm a I'm a middle aged Gen Xer. I was really in that last wave of people making fun of you because you wore glasses for eyes wanted to, you I never just, hear yeah, anybody i just say wanted that. to see the damn board and now i have i have definitely reached the age where i am yeah. i am this guy because i'm sick of losing these things i know and i'm the i am the weird opposite where i'm farsighted i'm nearsighted so if mm-hmm. i want to see my phone the glasses have a thing you know and they come off and i'm yep. looking at my phone so it's like no matter what. So I'm headed point, to progressives. <laughs> yeah, the point being is that hearing is is often uh, n- neglected and not really paid attention to, and unless you have tinnitus that draws attention to, to itself and yeah. makes you you know uh, you won't no- notice that you're missing it. So that's that's a really good. The point. only thing I'm really grateful for is that my left ear rings in perfect middle C. Oh, is that so right? I I have artificial perfect pitch. It's really handy. That's really <laughs> bizarre. Coming in, coming in. Well, I have five tones in here. I have five tones ringing here, five distinct tones and four distinct tones over here. Um, oh, man. But, you know, the yeah. thing about the headphone issue, though, is that um, there's there's a and you 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 need to stop this from happening before it even starts. Mm. And that is for people like me, even with the headphones on, we're not getting an effective and realistic representation of what the sound is and so the the initial inclination is to start twiddling the knobs and moving the sliders and what you're doing at that point even with a good flat pair of reference headphones i mean i used to have uh i used to have a uh a telefunk a set of telefunk and headphones that there they were i mean even back in the 80s they were like three thousand dollars because they were true uh headphones made for audiologists And so they were absolutely flat. Um, Interesting. Yeah. You will do yourself a great disservice by making adjustments to what you're hearing if you are the one that's got the hearing problem. Because at that point, you're not actually correcting problems. You're causing problems and you're tuning your recording to your hearing. And the last time I checked, I don't pay myself for my own voice. Somebody don't else does. You. I don't, I wouldn't hire me. Are you kidding yeah, you me? I'm a pain you. in the ass. Um, but no, it's, it's a significant thing. And that's where I want to go with you next is sure. you do listen-ins and you do commercial work where you, you will help somebody tune their environment, but also tune their signal chain and their recording and be that set of ears. Uh, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that and talk to me about the 
I mean, obviously, I just stated the primary benefit, but, you know, talk a little bit about the benefit of really having another set of professionally tuned ears kind of help you as you get started. One of the things is not is maybe less obvious. It's not that my hearing is perfect. Um, it's not anymore. It was very good for a very long time. It's pretty good for my age, but it's not perfect. Right. It's not that my hearing is perfect. And maybe there's going to be a guy 20 years younger than me who really still has perfect hearing, right? Mm-hmm. It's that I have heard your voice and that I've heard 5,000 others <laughs> as well through these headphones, right? Right. So I have in my brain this kind of this profile of sound, like what's this is the old whistle, what it's supposed to sound like. Yep. And so I've heard so much other audio. And so when I hear your audio, I understand in context how I th- how it should sound, how I think it should sound. And I and when I'm even called upon to set up processing, there's even more responsibility because now I'm making decisions that where I'm assuming that the person that you send that audio to will actually have wanted that audio to be processed in this way right. and making a judgment call and hoping it's right for what they want. Again, based on having heard a ton of audio and a ton of voiceovers, right? So sure. that's what, when you, when you, I call it a sound check. That's the cheapest service I do. It's 25 bucks. That is the one thing that if you do zero services with me, do that one, because I will absolutely be sure to give you a very honest assessment of that raw audio that you're putting out there. And if there's anything, a flaw in it that is distracting, I will call it out. I'll tell you what I think it is. If And if it sounds great, I'll tell you. There you go. One, one in 10 audio files I get is excellent. I have no notes. I'm just like, nailed it. Sounds great. Have Sometimes a great it's day. Yeah. yeah, have a great day. Sometimes like, oh, the noise floor could be a little quieter, but no, that's just kind of you can scrub that out later right. easily. Or uh it sounds like you're a little close to the mic. Just mm-hmm. back up like three inches. It's gonna sound great. Sometimes it's just little tweaks like that, but that is you know super valuable. And uh that's what I, I love to I love to do for people because it gives them that. It gives them that piece of information that they're not going to really be able to get easily anywhere else. And well, and as you said, it also provides them something incredibly valuable, and that is context and a reference point. Mm. You know, there so many people could get so much further down the path if they just had that confidence marker at the beginning saying, and at least I know I've had somebody check me here before I started pushing myself out the door. Sure. And, um, and, you know, I'm not there to watch over you. The next day, you might have bumped the mic or it's in the wrong spot. Right. Or the neighbors, maybe now they're building something or whatever mm-hmm. the thing is. That sound environment's going to change. It's just, it is. It's home studio. But it gives you but at least a baseline. You of know going, where it, yeah. Yeah. You know, I can hear, yeah, that sounds like what it sounded like yesterday. So at least that portion is known and good yeah and, and if that if that file you sent me was the one that i gave you the green light on keep that yeah as a shortcut on your desktop or something so well, you can I, always I'm, play that back and go oh yeah that was what george said it's supposed to sound yeah like. i'm big at telling people once you've got everything dialed in take screenshots like you said save templates um you know i have i probably on i use logic take a I, selfie 
Yes, exactly. I've done mic. the exact same thing where you can see what the angle of the mic is because, and I'm sure you're going to back this up. How many times have you just had somebody change the orientation of their mic by 10 degrees and suddenly that standing wave is gone? It has mm. been driving them nuts forever, but they like they, the they look of it, it yeah. like this. Yeah. And now that, it's, now that, that it's that, gone. Yeah. They kept it in place because they thought it looked good up against the wall. Yeah. It's perpendicular to the wall. Of course you're going to get a right. standing wave. Right. Right. Those little things are not little things. They're actually huge helps to you as you step out into this world. Yeah. Absolutely. But that also that brings us to the big question. And I actually have, uh, my user Colin sent in a question that uh, we've got 50 million characters devoted to this on my discord server. <laughs> so Colin asks, um, how do you EQ, how do you do an EQ sweep to find those standing waves and resonant frequencies, but you don't end up chasing phantoms all over the spectrum. And for mm. our viewers and listeners who might not know, phantom frequencies are when you have two frequencies that are similar in modulation, but they cross over each other just a tiny hair. That creates a, an illusory artifact in sound. Mm. And um, Colin's asking, the overarching question is, how do you EQ your voice and at the same time find those troubling frequencies in a mix and neutralize them without Swiss cheesing your recording? Mm. Well, okay. I will start with the first half of the question. How do you find the EQ of the frequencies that you don't like? Mm -hmm. I know there's some that are that use meters, RTAs, real-time analyzers, um, right. spectrograms, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I'm old school. I <laughs> use my ears. Yep. So, but the trick is to it's much easier to find a frequency that is offensive or distracting or resonant or whatever by first boosting it. So that's right. my trick, right? I mm -hmm. I always use a parametric equalizer when I'm trying to remove a specific noise, not not a graphic with all no. the different sliders because they're three old knobs. Yeah, because the graphic is is really um those are fixed frequencies at certain points and they all, they may not line up where you need it. A parametric lets you hone in on a frequency up and down the frequency spectrum. It lets you add or remove that frequency gaining, which is boosting or cutting. Mm -hmm. And it lets you hone in and laser focus into it with what's called the Q, Q. and get really tight on a specific frequency. You have these three knobs, right? Mm -hmm. And by using those together, you can sweep first, like you're saying, You, I would boost could be 10 dB on okay. EQ. I was going to ask you, And then you, yeah. sweep around. And then when that thing kind of, I call it the ice pick in the forehead. Like, right. Oh, yep. Oh, nasty. Yeah, it will let you know. Yeah. You when can it jumps out. It. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a booth resonant frequencies thing, it's going to be 120 or 200 or three, three. It's going to be like yeah. between 100 and 500, somewhere in that right. range. That's where all that nastiness is. Mm-hmm. Right? So you you find that, and then now you can once you found it, then you can turn it down. But how much turn it down, right? Right. You turn that's it down all the way. It will. Uh, it'll. It, the thing about EQ is it's it's a swath of area you're affecting, mm -hmm. and if you turn it all the way down, you're going to cut out a chunk yeah. of stuff you didn't want to remove. Mm -hmm. So you want to turn it down just enough, <laughs> right? And that's the tricky part. Just enough can be a little challenging, and 
So you might start with cutting it by five or six dB. You might find once you added compression and a limiter and you've, so you brought the volume of everything up, you might have to cut it even more or you might have to cut it less. Right. And that depends on whether the EQ is before your dynamics or after your dynamics. Oh, There's a lot going on here. You right? just brought up you just brought up the question of the age for me, and I was just gonna go here. Signal chain, EQ first or yeah. EQ last? Which one? Yes. Okay, good. Man after my own heart. It is well, not it is not black and white. Yeah. Well, I like to start with a high pass filter. So let's call okay. that an EQ, right? And sure. then yeah. next I'll do dynamic stuff typically. Okay. So I'll do my expander or denoiser, right? And then I'll use compression, mm-hmm. or maybe compression and then those. I don't it, know. It, I, it, I typically it. I typically compress afterwards because I want my noise treatment to be acting on an unaffected, yeah. uh, an unaffected frequency set. Yeah. Uh, and you know, compression is going to start making a few things more pronounced than they might really be. So I'm definitely, compression is generally speaking my second to last thing. Yeah, yeah. So what I do is I will do the the noise reduction usually, then I'll do the compression. The de-esser, if necessary, will have already happened by now as well. I'll usually do that before Mm -hmm. the compressor. And then then I do the EQ. Um, So I'm a compress then eq person okay um and then after i've sculpted my eq i use a some kind of a leveler or limiter as my makeup gain because once you've compressed the levels are going to drop right so now i'm going to bring my levels back up again my makeup gain Mm -hmm. typically using a limiter and Mm -hmm. so i will make up that level and I'll set the threshold of the limiter so that I'm getting a volume that I like. I'll set the ceiling. If it has a control for ceiling, usually around minus three, because I don't want my levels to go much above minus three. No. And then I'll set the limiter usually so it's barely working. Like it's so that it's almost never really limiters aren't there for heavy lift work. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want it to slam into that very much. It it colors it a lot. So that's kind of like, that's kind of my generic chain sure. and sequence that I like to do things mostly. Do you tend to use uh, a standalone limiter after compression or are would, would you be at times using the makeup function of a limiter or excuse me of a compressor plugin? Um or is there really I a difference to your mind? Because I'm using compression and limiters almost always in the same context. I mean mm-hmm. I'm always using them both. Right. So I don't use the makeup gain in the compressor because I'm just using the limiter to do there you it go. later. And the limiter gives you more finesse anyways. Yeah. And then having the compressor for me, having the compressor before the EQ means I can boost frequencies that I want to bring up, like some warmth or it's a little sub, a little air, some brightness. Yeah, a little brightness, yeah. Whatever it needs, I feel like it just is lacking. Like you're using a Cinco D2, right? Mm-hmm. This is a very razor, pretty razor flat mic. Oh yeah, you always can use a little lift in the top. Mm -hmm. So there's very little air in this microphone. Yeah, right. So that's where I'm going to add that because the limiter is after it. I don't have to worry about my EQ boost clipping Mm -hmm. because now the EQ boost is going into a limiter. So I don't have to worry did I over boost the EQ to a point of clipping. The limiter stops it from clipping, so I don't have to worry. So that chain in that sequence for me makes it as easy as possible to get where I want to go 
with all my tools. And so that's, that's why I don't use the makeup gain in the compressor specifically. I right. do it later in the chain. And to be clear to uh, the viewers and listeners, you also offer, um, you know, doing work on helping people set up their signal chain, not necessarily yeah. just a quick listen back and going, you might want to do this, you might want to do that. You will actually prepare a signal chain for a given person. And not only that, you will take into consideration, well, this is my narration profile. This is yeah. my commercial VO profile or my trailer profile. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about that offering that you have. Yeah, I, I take in consideration as many factors as possible so that you can use it as easily as possible. So that means what DAW are you using? Um, so if it's Twisted Wave, I'm going to make a Twisted Wave stack file. Mm -hmm. If it's Adobe Audition, I'm going to make an Adobe Audition multi-track SCSX file, which is a, a way to transport the effects rack which is embedded in the, so I have a system for doing it on Adobe Audition. Mm -hmm. If it's Reaper, I'm going to give you the beautiful little effects chain file, which is super easy to yeah, import they and go. Yeah, really, that's a nice feature. It's really nice. Um, if it's Audacity, they have what's called a macro. Mm -hmm. And so I'll make you a macro file. So it's always going to be specific to what you're working in. So you don't have to translate it. It's going to be either a double click the file or an import the file or some very straightforward The process. least amount of lift as possible. That's what I try to do, yeah. But so, you also take into consideration the microphone that's being used. Yeah, I mean, I'm listening to what I hear, right? If, if you've got two mics, this setting may not work as well for the other mic because if that one mic is very flat and I've boosted the high end and now you're going to use your TLM-103, which has a lot of air and lift yeah. on it, that won't sound as good because I've already boosted the high end to kind of help the other mic. So they don't necessarily one size fits all for different mics. Mm -mm. Um, but you might have a processing chain that works perfectly fine for several different things. E-learning, narration, corporate narration. Sure. You know, there's a lot of different things that it's just you're speaking as an authority and you need right. to be just loud enough so that you can be heard over all the other noise you know, that's a, that's a setting compression, yeah. uh, 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 commercial these days, the trend is very, very minimal processing. Yes. Lots of dynamics or dynamic range, which means very, almost zero compression. Yeah. Sibilant, almost a very bright open yeah. sound, yeah. not warm or rich. That's that, not. That switch booking. happened about 10, 15 years ago, right after the millennium, where we went away from that VOG voice of God kind of, even for yeah. traditional announcer people like me, they still yeah. want, they want it to feel more intimate and intimacy uh, by way of audio gets achieved by all those natural speech artifacts that, you know, beginning talent goes, I must scalpel that out. No, you don't, because that's what differentiates you from an AI that sounds perfect. AI is trying to sound as sloppy as we are. <laughs> I know. You know it's so, There's it's also this, like a huge number of younger people, Gen Z, whatever, that are loving, that are really into ASMR. Right. Which is literally all about capturing all the flaws and the little mouth noises and the... Yeah. So 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 you have these folks that, that, that basically it's taste. It's There's a shift in taste. Listen to a commercial on YouTube from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. Absolutely. The 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. Just listen to each decade and hear how they sonically have changed, right? Yep. So there are trends. So even if you get one preset, period, like let's just start with a narration, right? 
Mm-hmm. If you get that one preset, you now have a starting point. Just like with the sound check, you know what the baseline is of what you could or should sound like. Uh, maybe you, you didn't nail it, so I gave you some notes. Mm-hmm. Maybe we have to do a session where I really help you tune some acoustic issues. Kind of real-time it in, you yeah, know, listen yeah. to it as it happens. Give you notes and talk about your issues. Um, you don't got time to talk about my issues, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean my voiceover issues. Yes, yeah, yes. Okay. Well, I do, I do end up doing psychotherapy about oh, a third of the time. Right? Um, yes. <laughs> but, uh, and so... So the best thing you can do when it, when you're getting started with how do you use all these tools and where's what's my starting point? Don't use a preset that came with your DAW, mm-hmm. right? Almost never. Your DAW um, don't know you. It don't know your EQ. It doesn't <laughs> no. really. And sometimes they're woefully just uh, not. On, they're they're based on thirty year old trends. Right. And they're just not right. So so that's you got to be careful there. But you'll now have a preset that is correct for your voice that has the right EQ. Now. With a little bit of know-how, understanding how the tools work, which I've got content on this all day long. I've got on my website, I've, on the webinars and modules area, I've got videos on how to tune EQ and how to use dynamics. Once you've got a preset, now you can, with a little extra knowledge, understand that, oh, well, I just want to brighten it up a little bit. So if I just boost this high shelf EQ mm-hmm. 4DB that right. starts at 8K, I get exactly what I want. But, yeah, and 4 dB, not 4%, not 40 dB. Uh, right. Changes in EQ, I often tell people, are, are you know, th- some of the most, the smallest increments can make yeah. the biggest difference. And one step beyond that, you sound like broken glass. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a it picky goes, thing. Yeah, it goes back to that, at times, that pro listen back as well. Right. Yeah, and, so you'll, you'll have gotten not only, of course, the preset, but I will have listen to it. Right. So, right. So you're going to get my, like, I'm going to have approved your audio. I'm going to have given you a preset. I'm going to listen to that preset and approved what it sounded like. I'm going to send you that resulting file of your audio. So you can hear the way I heard it. So you know what it's supposed to sound like. Yeah, and you're talking you're gonna, a common language. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have the preset file, whatever that is. You're going to have the instructions on how to install that file. All that's going to happen in one, in one thing. And the only self, thing that's missing yeah. is you being there physically holding their hand on yeah. the mouse. Yeah. And, You've and luckily, really eliminated a lot of the pain points in doing this. Yeah. With digital tech now, this remote thing is, is a reality. Yep. It would have been, and, and is a pain, the few times where someone's like, I have so-and-so hardware preamp, you know, I have a channel strip. Right. Can we tune this in? And I'm like, sure. Is it in your booth? No, it's outside the booth. Well, this is going to be a... A nightmare, yeah. man. I'm, you're gonna, and I'm gonna go run out there and turn the the mid high EQ boost yeah. knob to to the right. It's just yeah. don't nightmare. touch that. Don't touch that one button. No, yeah, the other it, button. Yeah, yeah. It's and a I mean, nightmare. I I'm one of these people where you know, and so much in VO, we we often tell people record naked. We don't mean your clothes. We mean no no chain before the microphone. Yeah. I've dialed in my once booth. it's printed on there. Yeah, it's hard to. Get Over my later. shoulder, there is my booth behind that. I have spent so many years tuning that, and I do. I run in through an ART voice channel tube preamp into my mm-hmm. TLM 102 into a laptop that's in there. Mm-hmm. I've worked on that for so long. Nothing about that signal chain changes. 
Yeah. The only thing yeah. that I'm going to be doing differently in the near future is I'm going to be bifurcating my signal so that I can record an absolute naked signal in the event my client wants it. But sure. Sure. that's a long way away from beginning VO and learning that. And I will back you in that I wish back in the day, even with all my pre-existing sound engineering knowledge, I really wish I would have taken that $25, dollars $100 and paid for a different set of ears to check me before I started throwing myself out there. Because in much the same way as I value coaching and I can see the change in my business arc after I started getting professional coaching, mm. I imagine that that would have saved me time, effort, energy, money, and sanity. If I would have just really asked somebody to check me. It, the thing is it didn't, it didn't exist. The service didn't exist. I mean, I didn't know any, really. anybody else offering this. I'm, I'm sure you, you might know an engineer and this is how it really started. Kind I of, got yeah. started working with voiceover actors in LA because I was referred to this guy. Everybody get your Google on. <laughs> Don LaFontaine, right? The OG voice of God. <laughs> yeah. The inner and I, world guy. And he was like, I went to his studio and he needed a bunch of updates, you know? And he said, the guys that installed this thing 10 years ago, they just disappeared. <laughs> I didn't have anybody to call. And so he was calling another engineer. That's an engineer at a studio, right? Right. Who sits there and engineers voices all day long. Mm -hmm. And so those guys were getting these calls from the actors and bugging them all day. They're like, I got work to do. I can't troubleshoot. And that's that's because I knew Steve. This guy's name was Steve Nafshin. Because mm -hmm. I knew Steve. Steve knew Don. And then I ended up in Don's studio because the and then when Don said there is nobody that does this, there's nobody who's focused light, on voiceover studio. Light bulb moment. It was a total light bulb. I, yeah. I was doing film production mixing at the time when mm -hmm. I moved to LA because I didn't know what to do here. Sure. I was trying to find a way to make a living. And when he was like, this is, I was like, listen to, listen to Don. He said, he said, nobody is doing this. I needed a guy like you. Yeah. And it was time. I had to focus on voiceover. That was 17 years ago. And I'm really super happy that you brought up Don. You know, we miss you, Don. Um, yeah. I, I actually referenced Don in my book, The Quick and Dirty Guide to the Home Voiceover Industry, because he really was an absolute trendsetter. Very, very few people working at his level. And I yeah. mean, he was the voice of Paramount. Um, you know, they were still going to and from the studio. And he was it, an executive at Paramount. Right? <laughs> but he didn't have to be a voice actor. He was no, doing fine. He loved it. He loved yeah. doing it. But, yeah. you know, when he finally got to that age, right, where he said, you know, no matter my executive privilege and my great parking spot or not, I, I got what it takes to do this from my home. Yeah. And that was one of the one of the kicking down of the doors that created this entire industry that we do mm -hmm. and you know we owe him so much and yep you know it's a it's few, one of a the, few of my colleagues joe cipriano one of the other guys really early to the home studio bo weaver i don't mm -hmm. know if you know that name but he yes, came from radio yeah he's a, he was another very very early adopter in home studios he was doing home studios when they were still recording to reel to reel Oh, so he yeah. was recording from home 
and FedExing reels oh, to man. clients back man, in the I 80s. Thought it, I thought it was a lift because Don wound up running ISDN into his house, you know? That's right. That's uh, right. That, because that was the only way that really ISDN was the first way that we could live patch in to a studio environment, uh, real time, no latency and high at, quality. At, yeah. And it was, I mean, the OG, the OG, um, Mm-hmm. Bitrate, I think, was already ninety six. Mm-hmm. So that was yeah, achieving, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. right, exactly, one twenty eight asynchronous. Um, it it was the first time that we could do that, and it literally opened up and helped create an entire field where, you know, I often still think um, back back to a couple months after the pandemic hit, and we were all locked down. We have this famous picture, and I'll, I'll put it up here. I keep using it over and over of Ira Glass from This American Life, mm. physically no shoes on in his suit, in his closet, surrounded by his clothes, recording uh, uh, This American Life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, no doubt. I well, know. you know, we, uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about a lot of significant things, but I want to make sure that people know where they can get a hold of you. And I also know that you are just launching a brand new website. I am, yeah. We just got it online last week. Um, if you want to check it out, it's georgethe.tech. And, um, for the month unique, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, for the month, the month of March, um, just to, you know, get the ball rolling. We have Mm -hmm. a coupon code, of course. Woo. Uh, so you get 20% off any service booking that you book on the website and, uh, you use the coupon code G T T two T that's uh, the number two, the numeral two, the numeral two point with the P-O-I-N-T spelled out O-H. And G-T-T-2 definitely, 2. you can see it right now in post-production, I spelt it right. <laughs> <laughs> George, yeah, you can try that out. Listen, brother, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope that you'll uh, you'll be able to come back and join us again at some point in the future. But I also want to thank you for just all the years of you helping out knuckleheads like me uh, get things <laughs> dialed in and make it so that we don't cry when we listen to our own voiceovers. Excellent. Um, it's a real it's, pleasure. Yeah, it's been informative and, you know, for all my people listening out there, uh, make sure to do a like, click, and subscribe to the video. It helps me. And definitely, by the way, go check out some of the training modules that George has already provided. I'm sure they're going to be new and more uh, more up-to-date things. But honestly, when it comes to getting the rudiments down, George is the man. Go to George. That's Thank you. all I'm going to say. Thank but you. until next time, everybody, I'm Andrew Scott. That, of course, is George the Tech, George Whittem. And this has been Booth to Booth. See you in the booth, people. Bye-bye. From the beautiful Pacific Northwest, this has been Booth to Booth with Andrew Scott. Booth to Booth is a narrowband broadcast network production in association with andrewscottmedia.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Our theme music was written and produced by Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative. Christopher Vacano, webmaster. Available at vacanocreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott. Available at andrewscottmedia.com. Got topic ideas, questions, or comments for the show? Email us at patchin at boothtoboot.com or by simply clicking the link in the description. On behalf of host Andrew Scott, 
I'm Gwen Steele. From our booth to yours, thanks for joining us. See you next time on Booth to Booth. NBBN. The Narrow Band Broadcast Network. The focus is on you.